I think that's, you know, what we need to look at while I say, you know, is our common denominators. You know, what's brought mm-hmm. us together is the mushroom. That's our common denominator. And yeah, we're living in a time and space in the world where division, you know, and being pitted against each other is what keeps, you know, the powers that be able to really control us. Because whether it's a black or white thing, a gender thing, a religious thing, a political thing, that's the thing that's going to keep you distracted from going inside of yourself and kind of just discovering who you really are and that mm-hmm. you are connected things and you are a christian you are a jew you are islamic you are both masculine and feminine all of these things psychedelics will tell you man. it's like it's like oh shit you know i've been battling myself i've been fighting myself and that's what the mystery really is that why you have to have true sacred union is within yourself you know just as far as i've matured enough just within myself a bit more to where i've realized i'm really in no competition with anyone mm. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak, they talk to you, they will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. All right, what is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of Psilocybin Says. I am your host, Eric Osborne, and today on this episode, it's just going to be me and the man, the myth, the legend, Darren LeBaron. Uh, You may or may not have heard of Darren, depending on what aspect of the sacred mushroom world you're really involved in. Man, Darren, it's, it's hard to encapsulate Darren he is one of a kind, that is for sure. I had the luxury of meeting him in Jamaica after following his work for several years and felt like we really hit it off well and had been looking forward to this podcast for quite some time. So actually, you are getting three back-to-back episodes of interviews that I have really been excited about and really been looking forward to sitting down and having conversations with these folks because they're the real deal. They are really doing the things that they're talking about. And that's not to say that all the other folks Courtney and I have interviewed aren't, but there are certainly different levels of experience and expertise. And Darren and Dr. Ivan Castleman and the next interview that you'll hear next week with Charles Lazarus, who is the founder of Patu Chocolate Brand, which Patu is a psychedelic chocolate, psilocybin chocolate down in Jamaica. You're going to get to hear from him next week. And all three of these are folks that I have been either knowing, following, working with to some extent for a while because I really, really respect their work and their commitment and their level of expertise. That is huge. I love, love, love all the new folks coming into the world of psychedelia, but Those of you who are new and looking for practitioners, looking for places and opportunities to work with the mushroom, it's really, really hard to find someone that has a lot of authentic, real experience. And, you know, that's that's because of the screwed up legality around these mushrooms. It's not to criticize anyone. But I do want to suggest that whenever you're reaching out to a practitioner, whenever you're getting even advice from someone You want to really know that they know what they're talking about from their own experience. This is not something that you can read a couple of books about and become an expert. This is not something you can have a handful of experiences with and really even become proficient. This is something, psilocybin, sacred mushrooms are something that takes a lifetime to really gain a depth of understanding. And Darren's got it. And he comes at psilocybin in a way that is 
very similar to how I understand it and approach it from this spiritual world. And, you know, those of you who've been following my work for a while know that that's not something that I was really vocal about because I was a little concerned that it would be off-putting and people would think, who's this crazy woo-woo guy? And, you know, there was validity to that for to an extent in Jamaica as we were really trying to work with such a wide-ranging demographic. And it's not too dissimilar with the sanctuary, but the fact of the matter is with a religious organization, we can start from the spiritual perspective. And my friends, there is so very clearly a world beyond our world. Maria Sabina said it. Mystics have known it forever. Quantum sciences are starting to understand it. This material world that we see is just a shadow of what is on the other side, where we came from, where we're going, what is still there and still in communication with us at all times. So anyway, I'm going to stop my ramble here and let Darren educate you and me. (laughs) I love it. I love, love, love when I can be educated in the topic that is my specialty. That, y'all, if you're looking for a teacher, look for a student. And with that, it is a pleasure to introduce to you student and teacher, Darren LeBaron. All right, Darren, welcome to Psilocybin Says. Nice, thank you, Eric. Appreciate the invitation to come and share. Yeah, man, I've been been looking forward to this for quite some time uh, as I've been watching your work. You know, we met briefly in Jamaica, um, but then kind of following up and watching your work from there, I've been just extremely impressed in your dedication to uh, to this work itself and particularly what you brought out in term or bringing out here lately in terms of uh, kind of this secret history of psychedelics in Africa. So I think this is a topic that probably a very, very, very small percentage of my listeners, if any, have any exposure to. So just Take us right in, my man. Okay, so yeah, man, as you know, um, I have a background in teaching, sharing, educating people about psychedelics, primarily from that African indigenous perspective. But I always highlight that it's a, you know, it's, it's global history, it's world history, it's relevant to everybody, um, you know, as far as our story, humanity's story. And at the same time, wherever you are in the world, wherever you are located, wherever you was conceived and born, um, this legacy has, you know, kind of like a butterfly effect and synchronizes with those places, whether it's directly through oral traditions and or the fact that people are downloading from the same iCloud technologies, as I refer <laughs> to in the epigenetic realms, you know, and putting down the same blueprints. So, you know, I share the information that I share, but I inspire people all over the world to really just to tap in to see who they are, where they're from. That starts with you, you know, the land that you come from, the soil that you came from, and, you know, and then you can follow yourself chronologically, you know, geographically back to source. So that's what I do with my research, man. I just try to take myself, my own research, that's my interest, just going back to source. So I'm born and bred and conceived in the UK. And um, so I was interested in what was going on here. And most of the information here in the UK um, is as a myth, so to speak, as, you know, African traditions, when you talk to and speak to the people that are within these circles and communities. Um, For the most part, a lot of the direction and the narrative is coming by way of Central and South America. And um, all of that is relevant. You know, it's part of world history, world story. But again, just as far as my own personal journey and wanting to learn more about Africa, full stop, you know, being of Caribbean descent by way, you know, of 
and African lineage, but due to slavery, colonialism and all of that type of stuff, I've not been able to have a direct link back to that. So I was personally interested in just finding out more about that as a teenager, just learning more. And, you know, I've been on that journey, been on that path to the point where people who inspired me, I've also, you know, become an event organiser. So I've invited them to the UK and says, yo, man, you need to share this with the masses, you know, and that was just geared around African history, African culture, spirituality, you know. And as I personally ventured into the realm of psychedelics, you know, the same questions came up for myself, like, well, I wonder, you know, what was going on in Africa? Were they dealing with psychedelics? Is there, you know, any history, recorded, unrecorded, oral traditions, anything? And um, when I started to do that research, there was some, you know, fundamental information out there. But I was primarily going to the conferences, you know, that, and events and stuff in the UK and Europe. And for the most part, there wasn't much information being shared, you know, at all, if anything, about the history and culture. It was mainly to do with Iboga, more specifically Ibogaine, the active ingredient in Iboga. And I was pretty much the narrative was like, yeah, there's one in Africa that we know of. And it's good for heroin addiction, alcohol recovery and stuff like that. And I was like, that's really cool because we have those challenges in the community that I come from. But I'm curious to know, you know, are there heroin addicts in Gabon and Congo where this plant is indigenous to and that was kind of like the beginnings of it all man and along with the OG Baba Kalindi Ii who I was a student of who I was privy to his work in relation to uh, martial arts he was a master martial artist and taught that for a lifetime and but within the mysteries of martial arts he revealed the mysteries of martial arts actually come out of the mushroom experience the mm -hmm. suicide mushroom so that, along with the initial research that I was doing, was the catalyst for me to say, no, I'm diving in because not only did he say martial arts came out of magic mushrooms, it was like, you know, meditation, yoga, swings, roundabouts, traffic lights, the iPhone, all of these things come out of mm -hmm. the psychedelic experiences. So that was, you know, interesting to receive that information. But because he looked like me, he, he spoke my language, you know, not just English, but, you know, just en energetically and so forth. I was yeah that's 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 just how it really started for me man yeah i uh unfortunately never had the opportunity to really sit down with him uh i did study his work from afar and was amazed by just what he brought into the community this integration of martial arts and psychedelics and yes this um educating us that so much of martial arts and tai chi qigong you know that world coming out of the psychedelic experience. And I think what that highlights in large part, and even like some of the other ancillary stuff that you brought up is how much of our culture is founded in a psychedelic experience. And that goes unrecognized. Obviously Africa has been unrecognized for most of its global contributions. You know uh, I mean, the, the organization of African unity going back to the, to the League of Nations and Haile Selassie and the work that he did to try to unite uh, people and empower people in a time of such need. And I mean, there's just, there, you know, and so much more than me, uh, but that is kind of a part of my knowledge base. And, and part of what really drove me into the work is an attempt to reclaim you know, this indigenous knowledge. Uh, so anyway, what what have you been finding out about psychedelics in Africa? It can't just be Iboga, right? It's got to be so much more. Correct. That's very much the case. And um, what I did initially discover is that, yeah, there are not heroin addicts in Gabon that are 
utilizing Ebola for heroin addiction. Go so, figure. Uh, you know, so that was like the first thing. So, you know, what do they use it for? Mm-hmm. You know, and between that path and the path that Kalindi opened up for me, where he was pretty much presenting a lot about um, Asian Egypt or Kemet better yet. And um, he was sharing stuff, or I was at least seeing stuff that I had seen hundreds of times, if not thousands of times, images, glyphs, text, stuff that he was making reference to. But within that was hidden the mysteries of the mushroom in particular, mm-hmm. as well as the DMT files by way of the acacia trees mm-hmm. um, bushes and shrubs that the ancient Egyptians, as well as many other groups from the Nile Valley civilization were dealing with. So those were like the two paths that I you know, looked into primarily was like the indigenous people from Central Africa who introduced, or at least who were introduced to Iboga, who discovered Iboga, and then later on the various Bantu tribes got a hold of it, the Briti traditions, but all of them stem from the earliest people that we actually know on planet Earth in this current cycle. I refer to them as, you know, Adam and Eve. If you know, if again, from that biblical perspective, that's a question that I ask, you know, if who are the first people, where do they come from, where are they at, you know, is it a mystery, have they disappeared, but oh no, they haven't, they're still here living and breathing. So with that, I explored the relationship between these so-called pygmy people, the indigenous people from Central Africa and Western Africa, and in fact, they're actually a global people. You find that these small people are indigenous to all land masses all around the world, but again, that's another subject. But dealing with the African continent, um, what we're looking at is, um, you know, a tradition where they say that the Iboga was introduced to the people for them to actually be able to communicate with their ancestors. They could, you know, in English, we say it was like the first form of baptism. It was like one of the early Eucharist. It was, you Mm. know, a form of holy communion, which, you know, many other traditions later on down the line have implemented. And, you know, even if you think of the church, you know, they have a very similar ceremony where they have a Eucharist or a sacred element to being allowed, you know, to allow one to communicate with God, which we would call Holy Communion. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's the small people from Central Africa said this was their Eucharist, this was their, you know, their technology, their plant technology, along with fungi and other plant technologies out there to communicate with the ancestors, the unseen world, the spirit, the elementals. That's primarily what they talk about. That's Mm -hmm. their narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've seen some glyphs of mushrooms coming out of of Egypt, but in terms of direct mushroom use and the history of psychedelics used in around Africa, what what do we know there around mushrooms in particular? Well, east, west, north, south, I've got a record or a history of utilizing fungi, you know, when it comes to the African continent, you know, the the earliest glyphs, the earliest images that we see of mushrooms, you find in the North African regions, what we currently call today the Sahara, you know, which include Mali, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, that region, you have groups that have recorded on wall in petroglyphs, hieroglyphs, medoneta, call it what you want, but images that show mushrooms in different forms, whether it's, you know, the famous one that people are familiar in the psychedelic communities, like the bee shaman, you know, the one with the, mm-hmm. the, the image of the head and the body and you know it's up for debate according to some people whether it is actually mushrooms protruding from the shoulders and the thighs and so forth but then you have other images where you know you've got ones of you know these female forms again you know that that appear to be dancing or you know moving in some kind of movement and they have these mushroom shaped heads as well Mm -hmm. and then where these images you see a lot of cattle images of bulls or this because in these cultures and traditions they had you know sacred bull and cow cults and, um, you know, for those who may not be privy to the fact that, you know, cows produce, you know, the gift, which is the dung, and the dung then produce a further gift, which is, you know, psilocybin mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
in that set, you know, you've got many cultures that consider the cow and bull sacred because of that gift that they provide. So in ancient Egypt, the bull cults, you know, the cow cults, which would come in the form of Patar and Hathor or Heteru, these would be the earliest um, ancient Egyptian pre-dynastic um, archetypes, deities, gods, for lack of a better term. But in fact, the ancient Egyptians referred to them as Nater or Nateru, which were these forces of nature that actually were mushrooms, you know, and the whole... Um, mummification rites, the after-death, afterlife rites of passages that the ancient Egyptians curated were um, all to do with, you know, technology that allows you to have a glimpse of the afterlife prior to dying, so to speak, or just to reinforce that you don't actually die, you transform and move into other places and spaces. And, you know, that's what the, the mystery system of ancient Egypt was all about. And that was fundamentally geared around mushrooms as well as um, DMT, which they considered, um, which was, con um, it was known as the tree of life, you know, in, and the actual tree itself was the Acacia Nihilitica, which in the later traditions, it was said, this is the tree that the gods emerge from. They emerge from this, you know, from this tree. And yeah. that's where we knowledge of, you know, truth, you know, truth, death, it was the tree of life, the tree of knowledge, you know, the, the tree in which the mysteries of life and death are enclosed. So again, all of this stuff just revolves around fungi and acacia trees, man. That's what ancient Egypt was about. Right, right. So just the northern part, that's just the northern part of Africa. We're not even talking about Eastern Africa, we've got these pastoral cults, Western Africa amongst the Yoruba, where we have the earliest written records that go back over 9,000 years of psilocybin use. And then you can go down south to, you know, South Africa, where the, the small people there, the Bushmen, as they're commonly called, or the Khoi Khoi, or the San, also have records of using um, Amanita mushrooms, you know, the commonly oh, really? called the fly agaric, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, who, now, go back, who is the culture with the 9,000-year written record? Okay, that's in Nigeria amongst the Yoruba. Okay, the Yoruba, Nigeria. Okay. So there, that region is primarily known for its teachings, which we commonly call today voodoo or voodoo. You know, juju, black magic, all of these mm -hmm. practices that became distorted, dark, and loaded with misinformation. Actually, were rooted once again in you know this this unseen world. You know, these forces. They refer to them as the Arisha, their, their unseen or hidden forces, their spirits, their gods. And within the mythologies, the mystery systems of the Yoruba, there's, you know, written records, according to Giorgio Samarini, um, that, yeah, the Yoruba have got the earliest written records. And there's many other scholars that teach and share that type of information. Okay. Well, yeah, I was not aware of that. So um, I'm curious as to your perspective and uh, experience in this idea of the other world, I'm, I'm, I really have been lately considering how the two worlds of psychedelia, the medical world and the spiritual world, can somehow come together if they can come together. You know, when I first, before I ever ate mushrooms, um, there was something in me. When I was age seven, I read a book in the library about the use of peyote, and I was like, oh, wow. They use plants to talk to spirits. You know, it just kind of seemed natural to me. And then as I got older and became exposed to the possibility of taking mushrooms, people would talk about taking mushrooms and I would hear about it. And there was this kind of voice in my head that was always saying mushrooms are how you're going to talk to the spirit world. And that's, some, that's something that I have not been comfortable talking about until the last year or so. You know, the context of the work that I was doing in Jamaica didn't really provide 
I feel like a, a safe opportunity to talk about my experience as directly as I would have liked to. And now with the church, it very much does. And I, and I, I welcome the opportunity to really talk about the experience as we, as we understand it or as we experience it. And it has absolutely become for me, this is a communication tool for not just with our own self, our higher self, our own soul, but our ancestors. Uh, oh. So, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to hear kind of what your perspective is on the reality of that. And maybe if, do you have experience with that as well? Yeah, well, with that said, I was actually interested in this, you know, that, that space, that field prior to psychedelics, you know, the, the lifestyle choices that I make were always complementary to accessing those realms. You know, like you said, as a child, things like dreams and the dream world for me were a phenomenon that still to this day, I can't get my head around, you know, like just what dreams are, you know, you can break it down logically, but the fact that people can, you know, you know, have, you know, can see into the future, have insight from their dreams, get ideas that create things later on down the line, you know, in their lives or in, inspire people to, you know, start wars, end wars, you know, all these things come from this kind of unseen, unknown place and space. And um, so from a child, I was curious about those kind of things. And, you know, as I grew and matured, I learned about different practices, you know, that, you know, uh, allow you, if you know, with the right practice disciplines, you can attempt to access these places, you know, and that's, you know, meditation, yoga, breath work, you know, in a line with all those, you know, disciplines, you have different processes or different paths in accessing those, you know, those spiritual realms. So um, that's something that I've, you know, been interested in as a child. And in all honesty, when I was first introduced to psychedelics, you know, by, you know, officially, let's say, because, you know, I, I was aware of psychedelics and, you know, the guys I went to school with, primarily the young white guys I used to go to school with, they were into this type of stuff. And even then it was like, nah, nah, you know, that's just bad, that's drugs, leave it alone. And as I matured and got into my own spiritual journey, it was still something that I wouldn't consider being the, the, the path you know, mm -hmm. psychedelics weren't necessarily the path to be doing that, you know. The school of thought that I was coming from was like, you know, everything you need is inside of you, you know, and, you know, you can utilize, you know, what you have naturally to communicate with God. You don't need anything else to communicate with God or the spirits or the ancestral realm. And um, little did I know, you know, with further research that, you know, all of the rituals and ceremonies later on down the line that I was learning about that these indigenous cultures practice and still do to this day, you know, they integrate the plant technologies into that. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can do it through chanting and dancing and breath work and yoga and meditation. All these practices are, you know, applicable. But at the same time with the school of thought that Kalindi was presenting where, you know, the plant technologies were complementary to those disciplines, you know, that they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And um, that really made sense because, you know, someone like myself who was into dream work, for example, doing practicing lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences and these type of phenomenons, you know, it, it can be, you know, or at least for me, at least, it was hit and miss. You know, mm -hmm. it was um, yoga, meditation. For me, it's like hit and miss. You know, I have good days, not so good days. You know, and I had mainly more not so good days in accessing those places <laughs> than good days. And then I remember speaking, you know, with people and, you know, at that stage where I was like, well, maybe the plant technology plays that part. Again, the narrative was like, nah, that's like, that's cheating. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're fast-tracking fast yourself and know you're meant to be disciplined and spend 40 years doing that meditation, you know, spend, or in five years in that practicing that particular posture. You know, there were these narratives as well. So, you know, I, it was it's contradictory at the time, but as I move forward, I realized that, yo, this is what the ancients were dealing with, you know, and various 
you know, practitioners of these technologies would say that, yeah, you know, yoga, you know, if you look at, you know, the ancient Indians where it suggested it came from, although we could trace it back to Ethiopia and other places in the world, these body practices, mm-hmm. refer to as yoga, but, you know, they had these disciplines. Nonetheless, you know, there was this connection with Soma, which was this kind of mystery brew, this psychedelic brew that, you know, yoga came out of, you know, and it's like, yeah, I had teachings about Buddha and Buddha's relationship to, to mushrooms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, in all cultures around the world, they're all kind of saying this type of stuff. So for me personally, before I could keep dismissing it, I had to apply it. I had to test it, put it to the test, you know, and then see if it is what they say and um, or if it isn't. And then from my very first experiences with, you know, psychedelics, which was salvia divinorum, then it was DMT, and then later on down the line, mushrooms, um, all three of them provided that <laughs> context, man. Like, yeah, it was putting me, it put me in those places and spaces where that's where I was, you know, attempting to get or had gotten in the past, but they were very consistent and mm-hmm. there were lessons and teachings that came out of that that inspired me to, you know, make it a, a way of life for myself. You know, it was a, a lifestyle choice. And yeah, yeah they, were, they were consistent results. So can you can you talk about some of that, like what those experiences were like? Um, I think it's I think it's really helpful as I've been talking about my experiences, particularly um as I started to become aware of the reality of this spirit world, which for me, you know, growing up, you know, like you're open and you're a child and there's curiosity and wonder and all these things are a possibility. And particularly if you're in the Catholic church where they got saints and angels and all that stuff. So you just kind of, at least for me, I just was like, okay, this is a reality. And then at a certain point, you know, this rational mind wants to take over and everything is you know, material materialism and what you see, or it's not there. And, and so it's taking, it's taken a, a deprogramming of my mind um, mm-hmm. to, to be able to acknowledge, accept and encounter. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like it's valuable as I've, as I've shared my experiences with others, um, particularly how psychedelics be, moved beyond the psychological realm and into the spiritual realm has given some, a sense of identity and a sense of context for others to understand their experiences with a little more depth. Uh, so I would, I'd love to hear kind of like what that was like for you as you began to consciously enter into that world and engage with it. So, you know, without going into too much detail, cause I don't like to go into too much detail cause I do understand as well with, you know, with the sharing and exchange, there's definitely growth and development, you know, on it for, for everybody. But mm-hmm. um, I'm also aware that it can kind of distort people's, perception as well as expectation mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. it's basically so oh, this is what happened mm-hmm. with eric this is what happened with darren this is what happened mm-hmm. with Lincoln. you know they're going into it expecting these things to happen and well no. one is unique and have these kind of bespoke experiences you know right. and there's a process you know for everybody and you know learning so i, yeah, I went through a process yes you know, and to be to be fair i think the same thing comes out of the clinical trials as well right people Okay, this is what John Hopkins says happens. This is what Michael Pollan says happens. And so they come to the experience and then they're like, well, how come I didn't get the thing that I was supposed to get? You know, so I have found a big part of my work is always trying to help people bring their experience back to their experience, not what anybody else had. You got it. That's really important. But at the same time, I understand sharing how it helps and supports. So, you know, with that, with that said, yeah, I am, you know, I had initial experiences, where, not even the, the first experiences, man, put me into places and spaces, you know, where I could say there were beings, you know, intelligences, 
that I could interact with and engage with. You know, for the most part, at the early stages, it was just like sitting and looking and observing, you know, from the mm -hmm. inner world with eyes closed to open my eyes and there's things in the room, just exactly where I'm sitting right now, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, there's things floating through the room and you can interface and interact with these forms and you know and sometimes they appear to be physical forms and other times you know were more like light or they were unseen but you could feel presences you know and you know as those experiences you kind of manifest i or manifested i um became what i could say more intent more comfortable you know less scared less fearful mm -hmm. of you know of, of of taking those dosages that will put you into those spaces so me personally i identified certain characters archetypes gods or beings that were consistent in my salvia experience that were consistent in my dmt experiences or within my mushroom experiences like there's certain things that kept on appearing and there was other things that i've seen once and i've never seen them again you know mm -hmm. and those things that were consistent i felt like well, maybe that's my opportunity to build a relationship, understand what I'm experiencing, what this thing is and, and what it has to offer. And that's kind of how it started. And my curiosity just started to build relationships where just like, you know, yeah, anything, I built a framework around it, you know, and I understood what I needed to do. Again, it's, it's still hit and miss. It's not, you know, I could try it on a Friday night and try and hook up with the bee shaman, you know, from Tunisia. <laughs> <laughs> Then we're gonna work. I could spend the whole night in the corner just shaking, you know. What I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I do know what you're saying. <laughs> so like it doesn't mean like, yeah, every time you pick up the phone, you get a direct call and a direct answer, you know, and it's just like through trial and error, like anything in life, man, just like anything in life, it was just like takes consistency, practice, discipline, and I'm still on that journey, on that path. Mm -hmm. And then I've also had experiences where you know I've interacted with what in, at least in my experience, people that are in the here and now. You know, like I have conversations with, you know, people that are alive right now, but in those realms, in those realms and they teach and share perspectives of our relationship, you know, um, you know, in, in the here and now. And that could be like with siblings, brothers and sisters, you know, good friends, you know, teachers. And then on the moving further, I've also had experiences where people who are no longer here physically with what we would call have died, have made a transition. They come up in the experience. And um, it's, I wouldn't say it's no different, but very similar to like dreamlike experiences where once you come out of it, well, what are you going to do with that? Is it just a dream? Is it just a trip? You know, or is it real to you? Do How do you apply or integrate those exchanges that you had? And those are things that I'm, I'm still working on developing now and, you know, filtering out what is the BS, you know, what is my own BS and what is what we could call divine or holy and what is just part of the experience. And I guess many people who step into these spaces have that. And, you know, and so, to some people, it's like the life changing experiences that you have. And for some people, it's the bad trips, as they refer to it. Mm. You know, like, mm -hmm. oh, someone's bad trip is like, oh, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, yes like, I totally get it. <laughs> so, like, it, yeah, it's like swings around. And that's why I say it's very personal, it's mm -hmm. intimate, it's, mm -hmm. you know, bespoke to you. You know, I know many people are into, you know, different forms of divination, like tarot, you know, card, different forms of card reading, carry shell readings and so forth that may be done by somebody on your behalf or you might even do on your own behalf. But I've always said since having the psychedelic experiences that it's been the most personal divination I've ever had. And I don't know mm -hmm. if anything else, any card reading, tarot reading, you know, hypnosis, therapy or whatever else is, you know, provided in accessing this kind of knowledge from the other side 
nothing like psychedelics has been able to do that for me. So, yeah, I became an advocate for that. And that's where I started in this experience. In my journey, it wasn't about those that clinical stuff. Mm. That was just what I was hearing through the grapevine. But the people who I was dealing with it directly were like, yo, we deal with this to, you know, navigate our psyche, to go within ourselves, to check out those unseen, hyperdimensional, multi-universal <laughs> places and spaces. And um, yes, it can be used as medicine. It can be used for healing, but that's you know that's that, that's that's not the be all and end all. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that was how yeah, how I started to engage with it from the gate. It was like that's what it's here for. Are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human? One that honors the divinity within you and all life? Then Sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for. Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit P-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y dot org to become a member and find more information. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's like the the uh, depression relief and the relief from addiction and all that just kind of seems like some of the lowest hanging fruit that these experiences have to offer. I, I, I'll never forget this guy working with, you know, he came in. Uh, for you know, crippling depression, and he had a couple of really powerful experiences. And then on third experience, he had this, you know, ancestor god entity, the full blown thing, you know. And he came out of it, and he, I remember he took off his eye shades. He's like, "No shit, this stuff cures depression." I just talked to God for four hours, you know. Mm-hmm. So like the mental health benefits, I really see as an outcome of the spiritual benefit, which is like what you just t- touched on, something that we have such a no or very very rudimentary framework for is relationships with these intelligences and mm-hmm. i'm not afraid to talk about this I, I again it was and i think it's really important really valuable to talk about there are scientists who are out there studying even rick strassman the you know the the founder of the dmt research has been mm-hmm. you know actively questioning the consistency of these entities and how come different people are meeting the same entities and here we are now as we start to get a better understanding through technology of the invisible world you know and physics is understanding more and more gravity and all these forces that have such a huge impact on our everyday life it seems like psychedelics are going to be a tool that help us gain a better working knowledge of this world behind our world so you know this idea of developing relationships is something that has been kind of growing in my experience uh, particularly with deceased loved ones Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about and i i really appreciate how you're able to um speak in generalities but also um it's very obvious that you have a wealth of experience that is in in that's informing this. So like just in general terms, for, for me, can you share with me how, how that has evolved this kind of working relationship with intelligences? Does that make sense? Yeah, so just again, like I've, I've, you know, I've, I've come from a school of thought where I've learned that I've, I've got to create my own framework, you know, religions framework, for example, or even other 
spiritual paths that I've applied in my life, there's a framework, you know, and I've learned that over the years, if I pull from those frameworks, but primarily the framework that I create, it allows me to be consistent in, you know, in, in my processes. Mm-hmm. So um, that said, you know, if, you know, to, to be specific, you know, I've had two key figures in my life um, just over two years ago, make the transition. One of them being Kalindi EE and the other one being my father, my biological father, both made the transition nine days apart. Mm. So uh, in my practices, there's a way that I go about engaging my ancestors or acknowledging, acknowledging them with or without psychedelics, you know, mm-hmm. and some refer to that as maybe like an altar space, a sacred space. So, you know, it's like setting up a sacred space, you know, being deliberate, being intent with what I want to do, um, you know, and I see my altar space as like uh, uh, an antenna, a satellite. It's my interface. It's my arcade machine. It's what I'm going to interface with to access those people, those places and spaces. And like I said, it's not always consistent, but Mm -hmm. knowing that I've got certain imagery, certain symbols, certain things that are relevant to me or my experience, my relationship with those people. It could be things that I know they ate, things that I know they drank, things that I know they were interested in Mm -hmm. life, their favorite movie, whatever it is that I'm trying to, you know, um, build or remember about, you know, my relationship with them. That in itself for me would be the first stage, you know, as well as, you know, preparing the space, preparing myself, preparing that sacred space to engage with particular people, you know, particular beings, particular archetypes, you know. Mm-hmm. So I decorate it in a way, you know, what we could call, you know, for me, so it's like, for me, it's a form of like biohacking, neurohacking, you know, like just kind of, I, I see psychedelics, it's all about going in. So I'm just kind of preparing myself, I'm hypnotizing myself, I'm pimping myself, you know, I use all these terminologies as a way to, you know, start reinforcing what am I trying to do and setting that intention. Mm-hmm. And then you know, according to, you know, what technologies I'm working with, they would also maybe be placed on the altar, you know, over a period of time, charging them up with, you know, mental mental technology, you know, the, the same technology that um, we believe in, you know, that we're utilizing right now. I know that there's organic versions of them, you know. Yes. We call it our intuition, our telepathic communication, these types of forms. So whether you believe it or not, you know, as I say, it's like I, I, I'm, I don't need anybody to f- reaffirm that or confirm that for me on my behalf. With what I'm doing, just looks like a bag of rubbish. Like what you, what you do, <laughs> it's, it's what Darren needs to do. It's what Darren does himself to hype him up, to psych him up, to get my psyche in a you know certain place and space. And then with the external world reflecting what was going on in my mind, it allows me to have you know a more deliberate, direct um, experience with whoever that may be. And I'm saying that to say that I've done that with my father, I've done that with Kalindi, you know, and I've done that with, you know, musicians that I like, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, like rappers that I've grown up listening to that are no longer here that mm-hmm. have appeared in dreams of, you know, just in my subconscious, there's certain synchronicities that happen in life. And Darren may feel like, wow, that energy is trying to show me something. Next time I go in, you know, let's invite that energy to be a part of the experience. And sometimes I'll get pulled into other beings, other ancestors' experiences, other, you know, and that's not necessarily or was the intention that I went in to do. So this is kind of how Darren plays around with it. I love that. Yeah, the intentionality, the deliberate kind of setting it up. I, I, I just love how you're describing all this as, as kind of mirroring the outside, mirroring into the inside, this, this landscape almost, right, sounds like. So what about this... <sighs> I guess what what I want to ask is 
you know, we have these traditions that seem to have arisen out of the psychedelic experience. And then within those traditions, the psychedelic experience is seen as now a shortcut or a cheat code. Uh, and it's often undervalued and diminished by practitioners in these worlds. I mean, I'm right here behind me. I got this, the uh, Neijing too. It's a Taoist kind of metaphor of the human system. And I study quite a bit of uh, pretty, pretty old Taoist philosophy. And even within those two and 3000 year old philosophies, psychedelics are treated as, are spoken of as a, a poison. I've heard one incredible, very wise teacher, uh, Montak Chia, who I follow his work and, and love almost everything that he does, uh, because he helped me understand my psychedelic experiences. But he claims that even psilocybin and DMT are poisons and that they are taking you to the edge of actual death. And that's what induces these experiences. And we know that's not true. So how did it get so confused where even these well-practiced masters of high-level martial arts don't understand their own history? Yeah, it's, it's multiple fold. Well, yeah, it's a multiple fold of reasons as to, uh, you know, that's an assumption as well as things I'm aware of. You know, for the most part, there's been a hierarchy, a system put in place that has put a taboo on these things. You know, if we're talking about the here and now, like right here, right now, you know, mm. so you, you you just say magic mushrooms, you say these things and there's a, you know, key words that come along with that drugs being the first poison, deadly, you know, all of that type of stuff. But then you can go back even further and these are some of the associations associated with it when you're looking at like religion, you know? So if we look at like what the government is, is saying right now, then you've got that kind of religious perspective. And, you know, if we be frank, be straight, <laughs> they, you know, these powers that be in the here and now are well, not necessarily set up to, you know, support the masses. You know, they've <laughs> always been fraternal. They've always been, you know, secret in the sense of, you know, what they give to the masses prior to what was being taught really in the, in the in the temples, in the synagogues, in the mosque, in the churches, or just in the meeting rooms, you know, amongst these mm -hmm. fraternities and stuff. So there's, you know, like a, an under, I have an understanding and many people do, you know, that behind each, even if you just look at the, the, the religions, for example, you know, the various practices, the, the three mainstream religions, behind all of those, outside of what they give the masses, there's like a mystery system, you know, um, amongst Christianity, it's known as the Gnostics, you know, the Gnosis, you know, if you dive into that and then, you know, in Islam, you have, for example, Sufism and you have many other traditions that are like the hidden mystery part of the, the physical religion that we're given, as well as Judaism, you know, and the Kabbalah and the Kabbalist and those different teachings. And then within those, you'll find out the reason why the masses don't know is because, one, it's all part of the secret societies. It's all part of the secret. So, and you know, part of the secret, you know, if you've got a secret and you're being asked all the time and you can't tell the secret, one way is to create a narrative that we all agree on is this is what we're going to tell the masses. Mm -hmm. One of those that they've agreed on is that it's bad. It don't go there. <laughs> but we've got to make sure we tell people. And as you get deep into the mysteries, you're going to find out that the very same, same thing you were telling me to stay away from is actually the thing <laughs> that this thing is coming out of and I need to be engaging. And according to all of those traditions, you know, like people are doing research right now, Christianity, I speak about it a lot because, you know, that's the religion or the framework that, you know, they brought into Africa, brought into the Caribbean utilize amongst you know the people that I come from you know by way of Africa and the Caribbean you know Christianity and the Roman Catholic traditions so that's the spell that's the framework that's over the minds of the masses so um 
you know, the fact that that's what they've got, I utilize that to unpick and unpack mm-hmm. <laughs> the mysteries mm-hmm. in this. I mentioned at the beginning, Holy Communion. You know, everybody who's a Christian will go to church on a Sunday, take Holy Communion, and they're going to give you bread and wine, and the bread is this wafer thing primarily, or they might even give you some unleavened bread, you know, um, to, to, to line up with the traditional way that it was given. But, you know, when you get into the mysteries of, you know, the teachings of Christianity, that Holy Communion, ritual you can take that right back to ancient egypt and other places that have holy communion and the active ingredient that would allow you to have holy communion has been removed mm-hmm. so we're now they're giving you a wafer you know um back in the days or maybe not just back in the days like right now amongst those who know they utilize you know fungi for example you know as one of those um eucharists that would allow them to have holy communion so for the most part you can unpack each religion you know Islam, for example, there's teachings, you know, that Muhammad, um, you know, delved into traditions that were dealing with, you know, Pergamum, Hamala, which is, you know, uh, mm-hmm. comes from, you know, the DMT family, you know, and, you know, a brew that they would concoct, you know, similar to ayahuasca. So, you know, like, and then Judaism, you know, even, even the research amongst the, you know, the clinical trial people, Maps and all of these guys, some of their guys, you know, come from the Jewish faith. And they've been exploring, you know, the relationship between mushrooms and DMT and the Jewish faith and traditions. And, you know, that's now coming part of the narrative amongst even the clinical researchers, like you said, Rick Strassman and these guys. So, you know, you know, no matter what cultural tradition you deal with, you know, drugs, sex and rock and roll were the taboos, man. Because <laughs> music is very key in, you know inspiring you to have altered states of consciousness people going to trance and you know mm-hmm. have whole through dance so you know mm-hmm. the dance sex sex is one of the most powerful physical things we can do to access these unseen powerful realms and mm-hmm. places and spaces. so all these things were made a taboo by religion and moving forward you know there's like the government reinforced those taboos you know so this is why we don't know this is why we're not interested this is why we're scared we're fearful because it's been hundreds hundreds of years of like programming but again if you dive a bit deeper go to source you find it out this is part and parcel of all the religions that we're talking about it's part and parcel of you know the the governments the, the power structures that are in place they were inspired by older power structures and the blueprints that they gathered you know like the hierarchical system of the pyramid, the pyramid comes from like the mushroom and DMT world. <laughs> Pyramids, you know, like mm-hmm. in Egypt, like to, 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 to reinforce or to understand these blueprints. And although they've been distorted and used against the masses, you know, it's actually the blueprint that you could use for your for your liberation. So with that, this is something that I have been considering for a while. Just a little bit of a back history to what this started this thinking process. But apparently in China, uh, for a long time, Qigong was outlawed among the citizens. You could not publicly practice Qigong uh, because it was understood that Qigong was not just a meditation, but it's an access point to the spirit world. It's a way that you understand the technology of yourself better. You can do all the traveling and all the self-healing and all the things that we're touching on here. And for up in, and in the 80s, I think it was, there was kind of such a public health crisis in China Uh, The system was being overwhelmed by sickness. And so there was a government initiative to encourage people to start using Qigong to take care of their own health. Well, Mm. by 2000, I think, or in the 2000s, apparently it became a threat again because people were gaining access to their power. And as we have started exploring with psychedelics and we're, you know, mainly looking at it from this mental health perspective perspective um i have been curious and sometimes i'm 
I just want to talk about this stuff publicly. I don't know if I'm putting the target on my back, you know, or what. Uh, but, and if you don't want to answer, feel free to say you don't want to answer. But I do question with this current renaissance in psychedelics, if if we could find ourselves at a point again where the people become so empowered and so capable of communicating with the unseen world, this access that we've been denied, if um, if we're getting a little too eager in thinking that psychedelics will soon be, you know, just accessible to the masses into the forever future. Mm. Well, for me, I've got to say that I say always all the time, you know, it's like it is what it is and to get in where you fit. So, and I say that to say that there's, you know, I don't see those who, let's say, are suppressing this information as, you know, um, bad, evil, mm. you know, like, it's, it's like, you know, because I say that to say in Africa, you know, there's a saying that we say where it's like a secret is a secret is a secret, you know, and, you know, it's not everything is for everybody, mm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and um, you've got to get in where you fit. Mm -hmm. No, that's what I'm saying. So we don't need every Tom, Dick and Harry, you know, um, that's raised in a certain way, environment, you know, um, who's naive, uneducated, you know, just jumping in and being advocates, you know, and, you know, putting it out there in that way, because that's not going to, that's going to create kind of like an unbalance. Mm. You no, know? it's like we need dark to balance out the light and vice versa. Mm -hmm. We need this, like the, the matrix that we live in, the universe that we live in, there's the good guys and the bad guys. That's what I learned from the matrix. That's what I've also learned from ancient Egypt mythos, the, the tug of war between Horus and Set, this infinite war, this infinite battle that takes place that actually just keeps this thing going. That's what actually <laughs> going. It's not everybody becoming enlightened and everybody is now good. And it's like, ah, we've kind of missed the point also from my understanding, from my experience with it. So it's like, yeah, this is what makes this fun that you've got, you know, the dark Eli. I like the bad characters in the movies as well, you know? <laughs> you know, and what is that for? What does that do? This is how I feel about it. Like, I'm using those metaphors, but hopefully, you know, you get the gist of where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. I feel like football, you know, soccer, you know, as American football call it, I've learned over the years, but we call it football, you know, because we play with our feet and we kick the ball with our feet. <laughs> But, you know, if we was to be having a match, you know, I've got my opposition, you know, I've mm -hmm. got our opposition. We're playing a match and week in, week out, our opposing team, we're playing the same team and they're just kicking our asses. They're just beating us every week. Every week we're losing 3-0, 4-0, 5-0. We might score a goal every now and then, but they're always beating us. From our perspective, are we to tell those guys to not play as well? Don't play as good as you're playing. Take it easy. Take it easy on us. You know, don't play as good as you played last week. Or is it for us to just raise our game? <laughs> you know, get our skills together, and, you know, whatever it may be, you know. And that's the understanding that I know that Horace and Set came to. That's the understanding that Mr. Smith and Neo came to, that you can actually inspire me to become a better version of myself and do what I've got to do better. Where I fit in, I'm going to do a better job and vice versa. So for me, my job is just to do me the best that I can. I want to <laughs> them the best that they can, wherever, wherever they fit in, you know, and if you're my team, you know, just like boxers, any opposition, it's like, oh, you're going to bring the best out of your opponent and vice versa. So I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go, 
But what I do know is that we're co-creating the future in our reality. And I feel I know what I've got to do. If I'm the goalkeeper, I've got to save the goals, man. I'm there to save the goals. <laughs> up front, I'm trying to score the goals. And I just would like to inspire people through these experiences, like to know your position, man. Know your place, know your position and like, and then play it to the best of your abilities. <laughs> yes, 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 and yes. You know, that's one of the big challenges I feel like talking with people as they work through their experiences. It, for me, it took a significantly long time to get to the point where there is no good and bad. And even still, like, I got to find myself, like, ah, checking myself, like, one to, you know, the other, you know, and, like, this person's fighting against me. And it's just exactly like you say, this this tussle, this game, this riding the waves, us, you know, helping to move evolution along, helping to just keep this experience going. And yeah, it's just so, it's so easy for us to get into this. You know, this is the good guy. This is the bad guy. When everybody's just playing their part, <laughs> get in where you fit in. <laughs> I love that. You know, and if we just bring it down specifically to like the psychedelic community, and as you mentioned, you know, earlier, you know, like with all the clinical trials and the therapeutic potential, and that's that's the narrative. That's what's being pushed when you watch all the documentaries and you do your first Googles. And that's not the place and space that Darren's in. That's not the, the you know, the, the interest that I have. But I really do appreciate that that's happening. Like, and I'm not going to be out there, you know, saying, yeah, come on, let's do the trials and this, that and the other. I believe there's some people out there that are doing an amazing job at that. And I'm just going to not allow them, but, you know, just be cool with them doing that, you know, mm -hmm. because what I've seen through them doing that, it has opened a place and space for me to have conversations with other people mm -hmm. who otherwise may not have seen or heard that type of information. And then we have a conversation and then they're like, yeah, I've heard that microdosing and da -da 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 -da. And then it gives me the opportunity to share and educate. And then mm -hmm. they get twofold, man. They get a nice balance. And. There's some people that I would have been, I, I, I can tell you now that I just definitely would not engage with and couldn't have shared my teachings and others that I work with and, you know, build with who also share this type of information. Like, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to share in the way that we are and do if it wasn't for the trials that are being done and opening up that narrative. But mm -hmm. I'm just here to share that that's not the be all and end all. It's not one sided, you know, it's, 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 there's 360 degrees of this stuff mm -hmm. you know, out mm -hmm. there and that, you know, that's just a fraction of it. So like, let's just open up dialogues and narratives around other stuff. Yeah. Oh man, this this is something that I want to really sink in and take away from this conversation. I've kind of been getting, I get, I get, I do, I get a little flared up, you know. There, I, I, I have put myself in the position of being uh, kind of the object of a fair amount of criticism because of how I operate and because of you know how I talk, I guess sometimes, and I have had a real tendency to have that kind of like, oh, I gotta like defend myself from this thing. And really the thing to do with it is to to play with it. It's like the energy that you bring into it. Is it a game or is it like a war? And I don't want to think about things in terms of a war. I came into psychedelics like feeling like we gotta, we gotta we got to fight this battle. We got to bring this medicine to the public. We got to bring back the ways of our ancestors and had a very warrior like mentality. And more and more, as I see that, like it's all guided, there is, in my experience, there is something behind the scenes that is moving all of this forward. And it's a delusion when I tell myself that I'm doing anything. So just to be in the flow and mixing in it. And when somebody's coming at me with any kind of attack, 
to laugh it off. I had someone recently suggest that I was discrediting the psychedelic movement because I make videos that are playful about mushrooms and they're not like super serious. And this was someone that was really highly involved in the the movement here in the United States. And I kind of immediately took the fence, like wanted to double down, like, no, nah, I'm going to fucking fight back with play. But it's like to take this concept of the fight out of it and instead look at it like a play or a drama or a soccer match or a football match or however you want to call it. You know, that's the purpose of the, the Joker archetype, the jester. You know, that's what they that's that's what they bring to the fold when mm -hmm. those two people fighting or arguing, you know, the Joker comes in and makes you both look like fools, you know, like <laughs> you know like that's the idea around it like that's what theater and drama you know is, is spawned out of you know it's always you know the kind of good versus evil and you know generally you know we watch the movies and good wins so we're all trying to you know fight this war this battle but you know i'm sitting there saying all of this at the same time yeah i struggle with it too it's not like i sit there and i'm in you know uni and everything. <laughs> all the time i have my challenges i have you know i have my moments where i'm in a warlike mentality you know and again i think it's 360 degrees so there's a space for that there is a space mm for that you know like but you know it doesn't need to end in bloodshed death you know and <laughs> like where it can lead to you know you just need to learn how to direct that energy and i've just learned over the years how to direct that energy better and that's like create more stuff you know put more stuff out mm -hmm. there and the more that it's received in the way that you know many of times i wanted to throw the tower in because i'm thinking yeah, people don't want to hear this you know they're, <laughs> they're interested in this stuff but then like you said i realize oh, i'm supported by this kind of un seen i'm not really knowing that there's just something pushing this and propelling me and making it happen you know and i've just got to play my part whatever that is. just add a mm -hmm. brick a day that's all i say just know just add one yeah. brick we're building something and if, if everybody's got a brick and can bring their brick and build it eventually we'll see what we're building but for the most part yeah i always say you know for all the you know the you know, if you know this unseen thing that's pushing us, just know that I always just say this: there's more ancestors than there are people living. In <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, if it's the battle with the unseen world, they're gonna win. You know, <laughs> we're outnumbered. You know, so like I want to find out and understand what's going on over there, and ideally, we bring back some stuff over here, and then we can have that dance, that game, mm. that play. And then sometimes it's war. And but like, you know, Kalindi would always highlight, you know, in some of the early martial art traditions, um, they speak of, you know, the entheogen entheogenic or the psychedelic wars where, you know, they they would be taking psychedelics and not fighting physically. They'd be fighting in these mm -hmm. martial art realms. You know, that's where the fight would actually take place. And you come back down, just like in the Matrix, when Neo learns all of his, you know, martial mm -hmm. art techniques and he's fighting with Morpheus, and then they're just in the room with the, you know, with their headphones and whatever else that they've got on. It's like this body, this human body is just that. It's the headphones, it's the, the, the VR set, you know, that we've got all the technology inside of us to be able to do those things. And then after we have those entheogenic battles, we can come back and no blood is shed and we can, you know, feel, not even feel, know that, you know, yeah. they won, we lost, vice versa. And, you know, whatever decision or outcome would have come out of that, we, you know, we go with. So, yeah. Wow. Oh, man, that is, that's bringing back some very powerful experiences of that kind of, back and forth in that ethereal realm and and really helping me to integrate some of those experiences it's so it's so amazing how conversations that you have 5 10 15 years after an experience can come back to confirm an experience and really solidify that in your existence so thank you for just bringing that in that's such that's such a real experience that um i think i, I often get out of touch with you know 
most of my I spend so much of my time in psychedelic space being a physical support to others and even you know when I dose it's the vast majority of the time I'm taking mushrooms so that I can be of a support to others and help see things and bring things to light and, and work with my technology but it's been a long time since I've done that kind of regimened me go into that world and work on the programming get in there and sometimes like you said it's a fight so what do you you brought something up earlier that that kind of ties into this uh that's a really important aspect of this conversation and that is uh discerning out i don't know if you use the word delusion i think i use the word delusion but your own bullshit right you kind of talked about how when you go internal and you're kind of having these experiences and trying to suss out what is an actual contact an actual communication versus what is you know our own psycho babble for lack of better word and i'm i'm really curious if you have any input on how you yourself kind of make those discernments this is something that people ask me quite a bit and I've, i don't know that I've ever, i don't think i've ever talked to anyone who i felt like could answer that question as well mm, yeah i don't know if i can answer it <laughs> to yours mm-hmm. to, to, you know but at the same time you know i look at it you know again i've had these conversations right, just the other day you know and again this is prior to dream you know prior to psychedelics like with a dream world it's like so are my dreams real? You know, are they, mm-hmm. is that just, you know, like some people say, ah, oh, it's just a byproduct of filtering out what's happened in the last 24 hours, you know, like you get that. And then, and that is part of my dream experience. And then I have dreams that are very much more vivid, more profound, that I still remember to this day. And I may not even be able to remember the dream that I had last night, you know, that mm-hmm. comes and goes and fills out. And there's mm-hmm. some dreams that are more impactful and, and just last the test of time. You know, mm-hmm. and that's how I apply it, me personally to the psychedelic experience, man. Like, there's some things that have come through that make no sense whatsoever in the experience. And I've tried to work it out. And then I realized I can't work it out. I'm not mm-hmm. going to try and work it out mm-hmm. and just leave mm-hmm. it alone. And just like you said, share just now. And sometimes it could be weeks, months, years later. I'm like, oh, shit. That was in a bloody mushroom experience, and that's what it was trying to tell me. <laughs> and I might have thought that it was it was nothing before. Yes, but actually, it was something, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying all that to say that I've learned. Going back to my dream statement, it's like for me, everything is real, Eric. Man, it's all real. It's like there is no like, and it's just how profound, how hard did it hit? It's going to mm-hmm. determine how much I bring that back with me to Earth back in the room and am I still thinking about it or was it like some of the DMT experiences like wow that was powerful profound but I can't even remember a little bit of it it happened so and I know something happened but mm-hmm. what happened I don't know and I can't even I can't bring that back or integrate that you know there's you know and but was it real it was real it was just a really fast thing that happened I didn't couldn't make any sense of but I still account that as something it's not just the babble because yeah. even sometimes my dreams, I thought it was just a babble, it was just this. But as I learned to journal and write things down, as I said, sometimes I can come back to it weeks, months, or even years later, and that little bit of babble was something. And I yeah. realized, yeah, everything is everything. So for me, I just take with me just like really what hits home. It's something that's a light dream. Some of them are profound. I wake up, I can remember everything from beginning to end. And to me, that's an obvious sign that I'm meant to work with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. This is something to work with because it's mm-hmm. so clear on point and concise and yeah i can go back to it and unpack it you know and and lay it out in whichever way that i need to and whether it's something i need to do physically whether it's a conversation i need to have whether it's just saying bro you got to get up tomorrow and do your running 
You know, you've been slacking on your, you know, right? it could be like there's certain messages that come through. And then you're like, yeah, you're right. And is, is that my subconscious? Is that a divine entity? I don't know, but I've got the message. <laughs> got the message. Some messages come through loud and bloody clear. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's how I, I play around with it. I used to get very serious and it, it could be confusing. And it, it, I, I made it hard for myself. In yeah. Some I mean, yeah. So be- I learned yeah, just that that, that 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 seriousness, that over intellectualizing it, really trying to decipher and understand rather than just kind of being in this loose play of like, okay, yeah, I experienced that. That was interesting. Let's see where it goes, how this continues to unfold. Mm-hmm. That was an that was a beautiful answer to that question. And I it's I think it's really valuable that you keep referring to the dream state and comparing that to the psychedelic state. Um mm-hmm. because they are so similar and seems like, well, you know, you, you meet ancestors in your dreams, you have foresight in your dreams, you have those same things within the psychedelic experience. So that, Mm. that comparison is, is really, really, really valuable. Yeah. Well, for me, that was a space like prior to psychedelics and I'm still in that space. We're always in that space, you know, but I was heavy, you know, researching it, checking it out, doing various practices, you know, from childhood having experiences and knowing that it's, it's consistent. I, I met my first ancestors in my dreams. I met my first anthropomorphic forms in my dreams. All these mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. I experienced in the psychedelic realm. It's like I did experiences in the dream world, but it definitely wasn't as potent, as vivid, as, you know, on point as the psychedelic experiences have been. But like I said, I take it, you know, as we say, with a pinch of salt, I don't take everything that I receive from the psychedelic experience or the dream world as gospel. I right. go to the test, you know, I'll challenge it, or yes. sometimes I just leave it alone. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 100%, 100%. So, uh, what are your thoughts on aliens? <laughs> this, I know that uh, it sounds a little off left field, but it's not in my in my realm anyway. Uh, what are your thoughts on those entities and how they relate to psychedelic dream space, if any thoughts? So, yeah, well, according to my ancestors and the people that talk and share this information prior to me, they say that we are ancestors, which is an extension of this alien mm-hmm. extraterrestrial project. I know that mushrooms are aliens. You know, I know that their origins are pre-Earth, you know, are non, non-earthly, you know, extra, more than Earth. You know, so, you know, if we take away all the Hollywood battle, you know, away from what extraterrestrials and aliens are, we definitely come from or made up from even physically from alien material, you know, mm-hmm. extraterrestrial material, you know, mm-hmm. the water, you know, the life forces, the bacterias and the spores that kickstarted life on Earth are alien, you know. So it's not too far-fetched, you know, when we kind of break it down and then when you get into mythology, you know, which I'm into, you know, mythologies are giving you these kind of otherworldly, other places that these beings that were non-earthly who have come to earth or created earth you know and then i mentioned at the beginning the 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 first people the so-called bigby people you know the 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 bantu people you know the zulu people now all these people that i've checked out you know on the african continent just alone talk about having unearthly origins you Mm -hmm. know the zulu talk about being on mars before they arrived on earth you know these are like like common common dialogue (laughs) the common narrative Mm -hmm. amongst all indigenous people. That's what, you know, the Americas, Central Americas, Asians, they talk, you know, I'm here, I've got artwork by, you know, a Japanese painter, and we bounce around talking about the dogu, D-O-G-U. These are your pre-human, pre, you know, humanoid forms that, you know, in Jap- Japanese mythology that suggested that, you know, that came and, you know, brought a contribution to planet Earth, basically, interacted, mm-hmm. into 
humans. So where and how do these interactions take place? Me personally, I'm not convinced just yet that there are these metal ships flying above our, you know, earth and zapping up cows and zapping up, mm-hmm. you know, human mm-hmm. doing tests and stuff on us. After psychedelics, though, I was like, yeah, I see where a lot of the myths and experiences and testimonies of people can be um, tied into altered states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a place and space where we could interact with these entities or aliens, as some people refer to them. You know, definitely in these places and spaces, they happen, you know, through dreams and meditation and psychedelics. So I'm more, if you're asking Darren, I lean more towards that as my solid space and place for where you're going to meet aliens. And mm-hmm. like, would say, you know, taking mushrooms and not expecting to see these alien or entities and stuff like that is like going in the ocean and not expect and not expecting to encounter fish. From where they hang out, this is where this is where they are. <laughs> stuff, whether it's salvia, DMT, yeah, they're over there, man. <laughs> real or not, call it real or not, this is where they hang out for sure. Sometimes they're in the room with you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I ask because it's just becoming a more, um, it's becoming a more prevalent part of my experiences with and without mushrooms. It's becoming something that is more uh, widely reported. Even the United States government is holding meetings in Congress and are saying, you know, these, there have been recovered ships and all this kind of stuff. And for it to be in the same time frame that we're having this kind of explosion of psychedelic access around the world or at least access to information about psychedelics and they are such part and parcel of the experience i have to i have to just or i want to stay curious as to you know what's the connection what if anything is going on um and it feels like the psychedelic space is a place to be having these conversations you know because a lot of us can talk about having these internal experiences yeah, well, it's funny. When I was in the States the last time around, I was in L.A. at the UFO Extraterrestrial Conference. in. Oh, LA. really? Okay. Yeah, I got an invitation there to share about, you know, yeah, psych- psychedelics because the UFO community, you know, is saying, okay. yeah, connections with psychedelics and, you know, and like, let's bring these two worlds together because they are synchronized. They have a mm-hmm. symbiotic relationship. As we say, as above, so below, as within, so without. So mm-hmm. if Darren's saying that, our oh, he leans more towards those aliens existing inside of you and interface with them on your psychedelic experiences. I'm also aware that as above, so below, as within, so without. So I would never dismiss the fact that there could be some stuff flying mm-hmm. around. There could be some stuff outside of yourself and these things that they're finding, not all, you know, not all of them are kind of like how the movies have, you know, have mm-hmm. highlighted it. Because mm-hmm. like I said, some alien technologies for example, come in the form of like a rock, mm-hmm. you know, certain mm-hmm. things that are in that rock, <laughs> you know, or a mushroom. Mm-hmm. You, there you go, man. There you go. An asteroid, a meteorite, all the things that and intelligences that it carries with it, that it brings it into this realm and spreads and distributes it around. Just like we use, you know, the technology today, you know, spreading stuff through the internet and sending out an email, you know, and, and spamming people. This stuff happens in nature. Like that's mm-hmm. how I see it. And when things and forces come into our environment, we pick up on those in different ways. I think the sun, the sun is alien, isn't it? It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's not extra, it's more than Earth. And we pick up information from this alien sun, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Call it light, you know people around, we call it like light code information. There's information in the sun that comes down and plants get it and animals get it. And then we capture that information and we share it, you know, through nutrients, through plants, through food. You know, it's like, it's not as deep 
you know, on Scary and Hollywood as, you know, it's just like really, as I said, I won't say basic, but, you know, like you can you can bake it, break it down as I'm trying to on a basic level to understand that, that, that it doesn't seem too far-fetched to me that there's alien. Which, like, so this is part of the conversation as we feel like attempt to attempt to as a global culture move out of imperialism move out of colonialism because that's that was the whole guise of colonialism is that the other is different from you the other is a threat from you the other has resources that you need we need to take and this perspective around i love that you can bring it even to the sun right like we do perceive of the sun as the other, and yet we absorb its energy and it feeds us. It's not other than us. And the more we can break down these barriers of, of the other, then obviously, you know, we become one and what we can, it's like I was hearing talking the other day about the, the coming energy crisis. Like what the fuck energy crisis? We're swimming in energy. It's everywhere. You know, but we separate ourselves out and we make these little compartments of this is who these people and these things are when it is, as we know, through psychedelics and through just transcendental experiences that it is all one. Mm, for sure. For sure. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, what we need to look at. What I say, you know, is our common denominators. You know, what's brought mm -hmm. us together is the mushroom. That's our common denominator. Mm -hmm. You know, and like others have different common denominators. And yeah, we're living in a time and space in the world where division, you know, and being pitted against each other is what keeps, you know, the powers that be able to really control us. Because whether it's a black or white thing, a gender thing, a religious thing, a political thing, like that's the thing that's going to keep you distracted from going inside of yourself and kind of just discovering who you really are and that mm -hmm. you are connected to things. And you are a Christian, you are a Jew, you are Islamic, you are both masculine and feminine, all of these things psychedelics will tell you, man. It's like, it's like, oh shit, you know, I've been battling myself. I've been <laughs> fighting myself. And that's what the mystery really is. That why you have to have true sacred union is within yourself, you know, because you're, you're just fighting yourself. Dude, that is, I'm just laughing at myself right now because even still, like I find myself in these, you know, every now and then, like feeling like I've got to, you know, defend myself or battle or whatever. And it's just like, it started, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking like how funny it is that we have discord in the psychedelic community that, you know, if any community should be aware of its unity, it should be the psychedelic community. But I contribute to that discord as well because I see someone who criticizes me or whatever as other than me. And they're not, they're the same. They're, they're just tossing me the ball. We are playing the game. Yeah. Totally, man. And it reminds me of my, one of my favorite movies called The Game, you know, with Michael Douglas and... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mushroom movie, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> there's all these the challenges and all the things he's going through is really just all to do with, you know, with your ego, our ego, mm -hmm. the, the collective consciousness that we're all in a tango with, man. We're all doing it in some shape, form or another. Mm -hmm. And it's just then our awareness of it that allows us to dance better. You know, like, and you know, I'm up for the challenge. I'm up, you know, because I, I also am aware that, you know, friction creates, you know, new life, sparks mm -hmm. things, you know, and like we do need that. But, you know, like I said, we don't need to like really be putting people down, stabbing, shooting, killing, you know, in the name of our our belief, our right. perspective, you know. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, other than that, we should be having, you know, you know, 
balanced debates, you know, because from those debates, from those dialogues, from those conversations, you know, we're going to get ideas, we're going to be inspired, you know, but yeah, man, I, as I said, I'm sitting there and I, I get caught up in the same realities as well, man. I'm not here, you know, <laughs> in my yin and yang mode, perfectly balanced. <laughs> and what the hell were they talking about? Like, that's BS. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure that someone says, yeah, he's saying that mushrooms are aliens and that we're mushrooms having a human experience. What kind of BS is that? And I really know. Like, I don't even believe in that. I know about that. But, you know, and I'm happy to have that dialogue, have that conversation now. Where before, I might have been a bit more defensive. And I spoke about it the other day in another podcast interview, like, just as far as I've matured enough, just within myself a bit more, to where I've realised I'm really in no competition with anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a competitive culture, competitive society, a competitive community, you know what I'm saying? And whether it was football, arcade games, you know, d- debates in classroom, it was about, you know, winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it was all about. And uh, I definitely, you know, one thing that we say being on this side of the pond is that Americans have got a better winning attitude than we have. You know, we we had that sort of thought like, ah, oh, just just participating is a good thing, you know, just like, just, you don't need to play to win, you know, just being a part of it is just a good experience. And we always knew that, nah, Americans, they play to win and that's why they're winners and that's why they're just good at everything, you know, and it's that competitiveness mm. that we all have in us, some more than others, you know, other cultures more than others, you know, it's like, and you, you just kind of see how it plays out. But ultimately, like, it's like, yeah, man, it's not about just play for the sake of playing. And it's not like we've got to win and just step on everybody's heads, to, you know, to win. It's like just finding that middle balance killer. <laughs> I, I do want to win. I want to make sure, like, my team do the best. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not going to do it in ways that, you know, like I said, are detrimental to, the, to, to, to other people. And more importantly, yourself. Mm-hmm. And if it's giving you mental health, it's giving you physical issues like you've got to be honest with yourself you know what I'm saying and that's what I realised that I was carrying around certain luggage that didn't serve me well because I was mad at the world I was mad at the system mad at certain things and I've been that guy I was that guy I am that guy he's not left (laughs) I just know how to manage him better you know, yeah, I love that. Yeah, so, man. So you got there. There's so much good stuff in this episode. So much good stuff here. Can you talk a little bit about this? Uh, uh, the mushroom having a human experience because I have experienced this as well. There is a uh, an interesting sometimes this point where when I take mushrooms, it's like I don't know how to put it into words. Like I'm remembering. It's becoming very aware to me that this is a symbiosis that I am not taking mushrooms, that the mushrooms are taking me. Mm. Yeah, you got it, man. I say that. I always say, you know, you're a mushroom having a human experience and that you're just a big piece of shit. And both of those are complimentary. <laughs> Please do not be offended. And then when you know that psilocybin mushrooms have got this symbiotic relationship with shit as well, then you realize that that is the relationship that I feel we're meant to have ultimately. It's like the first relationship the first you know out of all the technologies that we've had so we're very much connected to it and the reason why i say if we go back to just being big pieces of shit because we say things like we come from the soil we go back to the soil ashes to ashes dust to dust our physical matter you know is made from those elements that come from the soil it's the same elements or nutrients that go into the plants that allow us to breathe the same plants that we eat that allow us to become who we are in growing and developing. So we're very much connected to it all. And all of that was kickstarted by these mushrooms. They were the ones who created the soil mm-hmm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. I'm saying 
for plants to evolve 500 plus million years later. You know, so this is a mushroom planet, whether we know it or not, like it or not. Mm -hmm. The mycelium has embedded its way all the way through the earth, you know, and the, the matter that we refer to as organic matter is inside of us. We can't get away from it where we know it, whether we know it or not, love it or not, like it or not. We're connected to this extension of this extraterrestrial project that started with these aliens who arrived on their spaceships, which were UFOs, as some people refer to them, or IFOs, because we identify that they were asteroids and comets and stuff that had these spore passengers, man, and this alien technology that eventually made its way to Earth and has developed this existence that we're currently experiencing and, and still continues to hold space, still is facilitating, you know, mm. everything that's going on in it. And, like, that's just what I'm trying to say scientifically, like, without getting too sciencey with it. But, yeah, panspermia is the phenomenon, the scientific phenomenon that explains that from the you know the alien perspective that i'm talking about and then study soil science or composting just to understand the role of you know the breaking down of all life that has ever existed on earth you know it now controls that man and it's mushrooms man it's all to do with mushrooms yep yep they're the creators and they're the ones who end it all they're the starters and the finishers and i like to refer to them as warren g and nate dog they're the regulators <laughs> Makes yeah, sense. Everything in between. Man, I tell you what, I, I, just because you brought up Orangey and Nate Dog, I, I had this mushroom trip years ago where, like, the end of the trip, I don't know how it happened. I think it was because it was the time when Snoop was going down to Jamaica and doing, doing the whole thing there. And uh, at the end of this mushroom trip, it was just like so certain to me that Snoop Dogg and I were going to be somehow collaborating. <laughs> and then for like, for so long in this trip, I just kept hearing Snoop Dogg calling me. I would pick up the phone and it was Snoop. It's like, E, what's up? <laughs> like, Snoop. <laughs> it just like was on repeat. That's one of those things that I'm still waiting to see if it <laughs> was that, was that the uh, garbage or is that something that's actually going to play out? <laughs> yeah, man, just make sure it's in the journal or logged hair and let it <laughs> <laughs> for sure yeah, for yeah. sure oh man that is so so beautifully said yeah the uh the experience of growing mushrooms you know i had a pretty decent sized mushroom farm here in the states for a while and you know it just all comes back to the soil to mushroom farmers are dirt makers that's what i like to say you know as a as a mushroom grower i'm really just making soil and even as a human being this body is going to be soil and so to be, I want to be the best soil that I can be. And now you can take that metaphorically. You can take that literally either way. Uh, Darren, man, this has been a, such a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'd like to save some more for later, another day down the road, perhaps. Um, yeah, we all, I always like to ask guests, um, because the, the show is Psilocybin Says, what, what does Psilocybin say to you if there was kind of a concise message that you could share with the listeners right now about that's a message from the mushroom. Well, what might that be? <laughs> um, don't try and work us out. Don't what? Try and what? Don't try and work us out. <laughs> <laughs> figure, figure it out for my American friends there. Don't try and work us out. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's one thing it tells me. Or like when I'm like you said, when I've got that mind, I'm trying to make it. It's like, Darren, you really think you're going to work us out? <laughs> <laughs> You start here trying to work us out. All right, cool. And then it yeah, throws me, it throws, it throws something at me, and yeah, I get discombobulated. That is. So I put it out to all the researchers, all the scientists, and everybody else. You know, like, like you said, there's something behind this. You know, like we say, like, you know, we're doing stuff, 
But like you said, it's doing stuff to us. Mm. And, you know, whether that's the mushroom, we, we, I used to say that I had that saying in the plant community because I have this food ground background and they used to say the same thing. Are we using the plants or are the plants using us? You know, mm. so it's like, yeah, with that said, yeah, we don't need to work it out. It's using us. We're using it. And we just mm. need to have, you know, yeah, this, this relationship, this, this organic relationship, you know, and don't try to be too... Like, yeah, let's get our hands on it. Let's control this. Let's synthesize it. Let's do whatever, you know, like, but hey, everyone's going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> but it just always reminds me, don't try and work us out. Don't try and work it out. Enjoy, <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Oh, man, thank you so much for your time, Darren. Thank you so much for your work that you're doing. You're spreading tons, a wealth of information out there. Uh, I'll share links to your social media and everything so that folks want to follow you. Is there anything coming up soon that you'd like to share with the audience? Got any events coming up? Yeah, man, I've got um, a series of events coming up, in-person ones, you know, in the UK, around Europe and stuff like that. And I know people that might be watching this might be from all different parts in the world and be like, well, I can't actually get to London or Manchester or Scotland or wherever you may be. So how about you go to my website, darrenlebaron.com, <laughs> and you'll be able to get my new upcoming webinar series, man, that I'm about to launch at the end of this month. So I'm not sure when this comes up, but October 31st is the release date, and okay. it's called Cyber in Africa, the untold story, which is an extension of the initial research that I started to do, as well as the first presentation that I put together, which was a 30-minute presentation initially that went on to become a 90-minute presentation, which is now a six, seven, eight-hour-plus series that will be online available, where all the type of stuff that I've been sharing with you today, as far as, you know, the ancient usages of it, you know, the first people to, who are those people, where do you find them, how do they use it, and I'll bring you right through to the here and now, man, and looking at some of the research being done, in particular, you know, that happens in the Americas, you know, in the diaspora all over the place. So that's available on my website, DarrenLeBaron.com, Psychedelics in Africa, The Untold Story, the new webinar series. Oh, man, that is super exciting. And, you know, as we move forward in this renaissance, as it's being called, it, it seems more and more important that we get that backstory. You know, the stuff that's happening with, with the research and all, love it. Thank you. Keep doing that great work. We don't really need it, actually, because we know from the historical record that this is part of who we are. Still respect yeah. it. We all have, you know, there is that that mind that wants to continue to work it out. And, you know, we can play that game. Uh, but a big part of the game also is knowing what happened in the past as best we can. So thank you sincerely. Thank you for bringing that to light, especially out of Africa. There, There's a, a huge conversation that could be had about what Africa has brought to this world and will bring to this world. I am firmly convinced that Africa is our past and our future. So, you know, that you're that you're diving into the psychedelic world of Africa and bringing that out to the masses is, is hugely important. Have you ever seen the, in, in Ethiopia, you know, I'm sure you know the Lalibela temples and Lalibela, the crosses that are buried under the ground was using. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen, there's a picture that I have in my Facebook, whatever catalog of pictures that I found once of a, some of the windows in the temples of Lalibela and the tops of them are perfect cubensis. There's a little short stem and then that bell-shaped mm. top with the nipple. I mean, it is an absolute perfect cubensis. I'll, if you've not seen that picture, I'll be happy to share it with you. I think that it's yeah, really, yeah, yeah, it's powerful. It's, you, you know the story of Lalabella and all those interconnected temples. It's fine. fine. That, that's a... There's more that you could share oh, with me, man. yeah, but I'm... Yeah. 
the Coptic churches and these were mushroom churches, you know, some of the teachings that I've got from, you know, the resources that I've got talk about the early churches being mushroom churches as well that you find in Ethiopia or East mm-hmm. and all, as well as old. Well, I mean, even well, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the story of manna going in the Ark of the Covenants, and I believe strongly, I think it's it's absolutely provable through the etymology, through the written history, that manna was the puffball mushroom, that it was an edible bread, loaf of bread, puffball mushroom that dried in the dew or dried in the sun and came up with the dew and all the all the uh, prescriptions that went with keeping it um, so that it wouldn't breed worms and stink, you know, and that manna was one of the only things that was put in the Ark of the Covenant, which is reportedly to, still exists in Aksum, Ethiopia. So, yeah, there's a incredible history there that um, maybe we can talk more about one day. I should probably take your webinar and get a little more informed on this six or seven hours. This is just a teaser on the information that you will be offering in that webinar. So I'm really excited to to help you spread that message. Oh, man. Appreciate that, Eric, man. And, and on your side as well, just keep up the good works, man. I see you. I know what you do, man. So just don't stop doing don't let your adversaries, you know, throw you off. Just have that dance, man. Keep having that dance. Yeah, that's how, that's how I want to keep looking at it. Thank you for that reminder, Darren. And I look forward to talking with you again. All right, peace. Peace.